0: Welcome to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On The Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast 367. I need to begin this podcast with an apology. Saturday, this past Saturday, I recorded Podcast 367. Somehow or another, in my brilliance as a technological expert, I must have corrupted that file in some way or another. I sent the file off, but it came back to me after I'd already closed the computer that the file was corrupted. I did not realize that until I began to look for today's podcast and had not realized that it had never gotten to my producer. And so you did not have, this is on Monday, the 20th, you did not have a podcast. Podcast today, and I'm so sorry for that. And so, let me lay out for you what we're doing, and I will make sure that these go through uncorrupted because somehow I have mishandled the file and did not transfer it to Dropbox and the procedure that we go through in the correct way. And I couldn't even open the file because it said it was corrupted. So I don't know how all of that happens. Some of you are listening, probably do and know that I hit something wrong or something went afoul. Nevertheless, uh, accept my apology. I want to say to you that 367 is going to be about the Babylon and Persian period and what came out of that in preparation for what we call the Christmas event, that is the coming of Jesus to the earth and how God prepared the world for that. Podcast 368, which will be on Wednesday, will be about Alexander and the Greek period and how he spread the culture of the Greeks throughout the known world at that time and how that affected New Testament Christianity. And then on Thursday, we're going to look at the Roman period. That will be number 369. And all that took place in preparation for the coming of Jesus. And then on Friday, I'm going to answer the question what next? What happens beyond Christmas? What happens beyond the Roman period? And we will look at what is next on God's biblical timetable. Now, the reason this is important is because uh, we are notorious in the West, and especially in America, for not knowing our own history. I'm talking about the history of America and the great Judeo-Christian heritage that God has given us over the centuries that prepared the world for America. America, that prepared our leadership for America. So I want to help you to understand that Jesus wasn't born into a vacuum. He was born at the right time, just when it was on God's timetable. And this is very important because many times we, again, live our lives looking at our own navel and we think the whole world revolves around the bubble that we're in. But you see, God moved human events along a timetable, and he placed the people and the empires into alignment with His will. After all, God really is sovereign. And God so appoints things to where everything works according to His good pleasure. And so, I believe that with all of my heart. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why I believe it. It's not my experience. It is what God says, and history proves it out. Again, history is His story. And so, So I want us to go back and look at the ways God prepared in a little bit more in-depth way than me just standing up presenting a presentation of 30 or 45 minutes. I want us to just look at some of the things that we don't always get to talk about. When we talk about Galatians 4, 4 in the fullness of time, when the time was right, when the occasion was just when it needed to be, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who are under the law. And the purpose for redemption is that he might make us his children. He does that through a couple of conceptual ways. First of all, we are born again. We are born from above, just like we have a natural birth, a fleshly birth, born of water. We are also born of the spirit if we're going to take part in the eternal kingdom of God. And then the Bible talks about adoption, whereby God chooses us and adopts us and gives us the status of adult sons. And he brings us into his family. And so God does that, and he prepared the world, he prepared the people, he brought Jesus our Savior through the loins and the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of King David and the Judaic dynasty. God made unconditional covenants to Abraham and to David. That's why Matthew goes back in time and picks up Abraham and David, and in the first chapter, the first verse, this is the genealogy, this is the history, this is is the ancestry of Jesus the Messiah, who is the son of David, who is the son of Abraham. To those men were made unconditional covenants. God said, I'm going to do this for you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And I am the true and living God, and God brought to pass everything that he said he would. But you know the story. I'm not going to go through the 10 time periods that I break the Old Testament down in. I just want to go to that period of captivity. You see, God had warned his people that they were to not have other gods before them, no idol worship no graven images, nothing that would represent God, because God is not representable in man's fashioning. God is spirit, and if we ever would know God, he has to come to us. We don't make our way to him. That's where the Tower of Babel fell. That's where all of the icons and idols fell. We cannot make a representation of who God is, because God is spirit. And so God came to us, but he came to us through a family, a Jewish family, and he brought about the timing just right, just when it was time. But all of that took a time of preparation. Not only was he getting the people in place, but he was preparing the Jewish people for the mindset that they needed in order to have Messiah dwelling among them. And so God prepared the way. As you have heard me say, in 931 B.C., Solomon died. His young son, Rehoboam, was not a good leader, and he listened to his peer group, who were other young men who were not seasoned in the word of God and certainly were not seeking the face of God. And they advised Rehoboam in a bad way with evil counsel, unwise counsel. He did not listen to the older men, listen to all of those who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, today, get you some seasoned men around you who have lived life and experienced more than you have at this point. It doesn't matter what your Bible knowledge, what your theory is, sooner or later you're going to have on-job training, and you've got to walk with men who have walked the way as long and just as deeply as you have. And they'll help you along the way. They've sure helped me and still do. So Rehoboam didn't do that. And he listened to his peers and he split the kingdom in two. That northern kingdom that was led by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin, only just a little over 200 years. And it was decimated by the Assyrians who came in and captured all of Samaria and and would have, had it not been for the grace and mercy and providence of God, they would have have destroyed Judah as well and destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. But godly King Hezekiah realized his own inadequacies, his own limitations, and took the threats and the bullying of the Assyrian army to God himself, and God wiped out the army and sent them on their way packing. And they went back to Assyria. Now that was only a couple hundred years after 931, 722 BC. And so there, from 722 BC down to 605, was the first phase of the Babylonian captivity for a period of of 70 years they were in captivity and a great portion were taken away from Jerusalem for a period of 70 years from 605 to 535. Now some would say well wait just a minute the temple was destroyed in 586 and there was a second trip in 597 after 605. What are you talking about 535 and 605 being 70 years? Well what I'm telling you is when the The Babylonians were taken over by Cyrus, King Cyrus, the Persian, and the Persian armies in 539. The next year in 538 B.C., God preparing the way for the Messiah pressed upon Cyrus' heart. By the way, whom Isaiah had predicted some 200 years earlier that indeed this would happen. And Cyrus was called by name. He's called the Anointed of God. Two hundred years or more before Cyrus was ever born, so God was in the preparation stage for Messiah then. And so the Bible says in five hundred and thirty-eight, Cyrus issued a decree for the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem, and that's exactly what they did. But it took three years to get enough Jews back. Uh, about fifty thousand went back, and it. It took three years to get everyone assembled, get them in the land, get them set up and their household set up. And it was 535 before they laid the foundation for the temple. So you remember they didn't have the earth moving equipment. They didn't have all the automobiles and modes of transportation we do today. They had to go in caravans. So they left in 538. They got over there in 538. But it was a couple of years after that before they had enough equipment and everything ready and all the people of a mindset to lay the foundation. They laid the foundation in one year, and then they quit for 14 years. God sent Haggai and Zechariah two fiery prophets. You can read their writings, the prophecies, And the people started building again in 520 B.C. It took them four years to finish it. So the second temple took five years, where the first one took seven years to build because of its magnificence and just how plush it was and uh, extravagant that it was, and it was incredible. And in 516, the second temple was dedicated. Now, I count the captivity from a legal and technical way, a biblical way from 586 BC when the worship center, the central worship center, the temple that Solomon built was destroyed until it was rebuilt was exactly 70 years. 516 is when it was the second temple was dedicated. But I spoke of 70 years from the standpoint of 605 down to 535 when the people literally went from captivity to freedom enough to begin to build the second temple temple. And so God was doing all that he was planning to do during this time. And as you know, after 400 BC, it was called the silent years because for 400 years after the close of Malachi, the prophet's last word that he spoke, it was 400 years before God spoke to Zechariah, who was the father of the person we call John the Baptist, But God wasn't just waiting around those 400 years. And even though he did not speak openly, he was working in the background. He was getting the kingdoms in line. He was getting everything he needed for the birth of his son into the world. And so when the temple was destroyed, the people were in captivity in Babylon, and they were scattered across the face of the earth. They were not just all around Babylon and on the river Kibar with Ezekiel in the Mesopotamia. Valley, they were scattered across the face of the earth. Remember, the Assyrians scattered Jews everywhere across the known world at that time. And everywhere that the Jews went after the Babylonian exile, they began to assemble themselves in places where they would talk, they would have community, communication, and they would talk about Torah, they would remember the Moedim, the feasts, the festivals, the fast days. And And those assembly halls and assembly houses were called Bait Knesset. Knesset is the word for assembly. Bait or Beth, B-E-T-H or B-I-T, Bait, the modern pronunciation, is the word for house, the house of assembly. Israel's modern-day assembly, the parliament building, is called the Knesset, the assembly building. And so these houses of community gathering were called Beit Knesset. Now, that was changed during the days of Alexander when Koine Greek became the lingua franca, the language, the common language of the people. It was changed to sunagogos. synagogas is the Greek pronunciation, but in English, we pronounce it not soon. We change the U to a Y rhythmically uh, when you transliterate. And so it's not synagogos, it's synagogos, the synagogue. And so there were synagogues, meeting places all over the known world. Why? Because the temple had been destroyed. There was no central place of worship. Now, the reason this is important is because after the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the apostles were scattered across. Across the face of the earth, and people were preaching the gospel. But when the apostle Paul went into the various places in what was called Asia Minor during the days of the Greco-Roman world, and into Greece, and in every city they would go in, the first place they would go to, they would find the synagogue, the Beit Knesset, the synagogue. Why? Because Saul was a rabbi. He had studied under the great Gamaliel the Elder, who was a the chief student. of Hillel, the great rabbi that just preceded Jesus. And it was a match made in heaven. That is, God had prepared Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, of course. And everywhere he would go, he would be welcomed in. And he, uh, during the days of, of the synagogue, there would be a Torah portion read, and uh, a portion from the prophets, and from the writings. And then it would be explained. This is what Jesus was doing in Luke chapter 4, where it says, after his temptation in the desert, he came into his own city of Nazareth, and as was his custom on Shabbat, he went into the synagogue, into the Bay Knesset. They were everywhere. Anywhere there were just a few families, they would build a synagogue. That was priority. So everywhere that Saul of Tarsus went, he had a preaching point. That was not an accident. That was God's providence and sovereignty. God set up preaching points all over the Greco-Roman world so that the gospel would have a lodging place immediately. And if you'll notice, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas and later Paul and Silas would go into the synagogue and people say, yeah, but God turned his back on the Jews because they rejected. And we read where Paul shook off the dust of his feet. Yes, he did. And then he'd go right down the road to the next village and go right into the synagogue again. In other words, yes, that city may have rejected him, but where did he go next? He went right back into the synagogue. Why? Because the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Well, that's all I have for today. I've got a lot more, but thats I know I'm getting long. So I want you to tune back in tomorrow, and we'll be in the Greek period and the rise of Alexander. And we'll see how God prepared the world to speak one language during the days of Jesus. That was the trade language of the day. And how that he prepared the world philosophically. How he prepared the world from an incredible dynasty of Alexander that split into four different sections. And we'll see how they all work together as we get ready for the coming of the Messiah. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.